A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is the show where you get to hear how Christians live out their faith in the mucky business of politics, or in the case of our guest this week, how the mucky business of politics affects them. You might think politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and well, yes, you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else. And I think Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters who are in politics in an informed way. Today, we're talking about how the government's decisions about lockdown have affected businesses. How can you be a fair business owner at a time like this, particularly if you are a Christian? Well, instead of talking to an MP, this week we're talking to someone on the ground. Gary Grant is the owner of the Entertainer toy chain, and he's a Christian. He's booked the trend by keeping his shops closed on Sundays and keeping his spot on the high street, unlike many of those around him. We'll be asking Gary what he makes of the government's instructions to businesses and how he's dealt with the financial challenges of the lockdown as a Christian. Before we speak about all that, Cara Bentley has a roundup of some of the news this week. Well, first of all, I just wanted to mention the Henry Hoover, which snaked its way into the very first peek behind the doors of the Prime Minister's patriotic new press room for the upcoming media briefings. Was it the result of an absent-minded cleaner or a reference to an established British business associated with reliability? Who knows, but more exciting doors are opening in Scotland. The government has budged on its timetable for public worship, as we mentioned they might do a few weeks ago, and churches will now be allowed to hold services over the Easter weekend. But what's been dominating people's thoughts is the death of Sarah Everard, who was walking home in South London one evening, spoke to her boyfriend on the phone, and then never made it to her front door. Her body was found in a bag a week later in Woodland in Kent. It's made every woman think of the countless times she's been on her own and been okay, and made every man think of all the times he's felt nervous about a sister or a daughter walking on her own, told himself she'd been okay and also been proved right. But for Sarah, it didn't end that way, and it has sparked a political discussion about the safety of women more widely, not just in the streets, but also the statistically higher danger of facing violence in your own home. There have been protests about people's right to protest, and as with other serious crimes, this has ignited deep emotions and a call for change. Tim, how do you think Christians should respond to all this? Well, the events of the last few days have made people angry. Angry that women can't be safe on our streets. Angry that the policing of protests were heavy-handed. Angry, on the other hand, that people gathered for a protest in the midst of a pandemic when so many others have had to forego being together, even for the funerals of people close to them. And then we have politicians calling for resignations, people using the tragedy and the aftermath of the vigils to back up whatever point of view they had to start with. To me, it feels like we have lost sight of the most important thing. A family has lost a daughter. Their agony and heartbreak is unimaginable. And my priority should be to bring Sarah Everard's family before the Lord to pray for them. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be angry. Angry at this despicable crime and angry at violence in our society, especially sexual violence directed mostly by men, mostly at women. Angry with a culture that seems to foster, breed and ferment this wickedness. So where should we take our anger? Well, first, to God. We're not just permitted to bring our anger to God. I think we're encouraged to. In the book of Lamentations, we see the writer pouring out his confusion and distress to the Lord. In the Psalms, we see it often. 
The anguished cry, how long, Lord, is repeated in Psalms 13, 35 and 42, for example. Most famously, it is Jesus himself who cries out from the cross the words of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We should uphold Sarah's loved ones in prayer and we should be furious. But we should also act. Attacks on women by strangers are rare, but the toleration of the sexualization and objectification of women pervades our culture. That women feel unsafe on the streets at night is an appallingly universal experience, so universal that we normalize it as just the way things are. To understand the outpouring of the last few days is to see that so many women are now saying, hang on, this just shouldn't be the case. Why should we live in fear? Of course, it didn't take long for this tragedy to get weaponized for the culture wars with the not all men hashtag on Twitter, fueling a men versus women debate, anti-feminist on one side and on the other side, the idea that a man can't possibly understand. Alongside our prayers and our laments, I think Christians should ensure that our priority is to defend the vulnerable and to do so graciously. As we've heard, the Bible doesn't condemn anger, but it does encourage us to deal with it. Ephesians 4 tells us, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Well, Johnny Rotten sang, anger is an energy. Well, let's channel that energy. Human beings have a God-given capacity for compassion, and that needs to be extended to all women who face abuse and the fear of abuse, for which there is no excuse and no justification. Compassion should also extend to those maintaining law and order in such difficult circumstances and to those caught up in the politicization of this tragedy and with whom we may not always agree. Often when we are angry we have forgotten that God has been there too. We do not have some emotionless distant deity detached from the grim reality of our lives. No we have a God who had that grim reality literally hammered into him. At the cross we see the righteous anger of God at unspeakable wickedness. And we see God's mercy and forgiveness towards you and me. So share God's righteous anger at this evil. And at the same time, imitate his grace when we speak, tweet and think. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, this week on the show, we're talking about what it's like to have the high street business you started from scratch turned upside down by several nationwide lockdowns and then have to deal with the financial and personal implications. Gary Grant started the entertainer toy chain in 1981. Ten years later, he became a Christian, with his shops now displaying the biblical nativity scene every December. Well, Gary, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about your journey. So you set up the entertainer or you bought it and you took it on in 1981 as a single, a single shop. Um, but ten years later, you became a Christian. Tell us how that came about. Well, my wife, Catherine, and I bought this ailing toy shop in Amersham in Buckinghamshire in, in uh, May of 1981. And um, we uh, rebranded it, The Entertainer, uh, didn't know anything about toys at the time. And, uh, and off we went, as it were. And uh, by 1991, 10 years later, uh, we had three toy shops, Amersham, Beaconsfield and Slough. Now, about 1988, 89, um, Kath became a Christian. Uh, her friend took her to church. Um, and I remember her coming home one Sunday morning talking absolute gobbledygooch. You know, uh, she announced that David Pitches had uh, prayed 
the Holy Spirit over her. And, and I thought they'd indoctrinated her. I had no idea what on earth was going on. Um, and for a couple of years, I was a very antagonistic, very anti-Christian uh, husband, um, really unhappy about her having home groups in the house and all sorts of things. But um, I did go to a couple of odd things at her church. Christmas, the children were baptised, and um, she invited me, or she bought me a ticket to her, a Christian men's breakfast that her church was organising in, in May of 1991. And uh, I remember going along really out of just keeping peace at home, really. And um, another gentleman from St Andrew's Chorley, because David Pitches was the vicar, uh, Barry Kissel was the speaker. I didn't know any of them. I just turned up just to, just to get it over with, really. Um, and he spoke after this full English cook breakfast that we have about a relationship that he had with Jesus. And I sat there and thought, I'm 33. I've done RE at school. Nobody ever mentioned relationship. They always talked about God and stories, water into wine, healing the sick and all those things. But, but relationship, that was, that was a whole new concept. And I left that breakfast thinking, I wonder if it's true. Uh, and the next day I went to find Barry Kissel at his church in Chorley Wood. And to cut a very long story short, uh, I ended up at the wrong church, sitting at the back, crying my eyes out for an hour and a half and realised that life was completely different. And then I had to come back and work out how that experience could be lived out on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour basis. Mm. And I remember talking to a local Christian uh, accountant and saying, David, you know, I don't think being in business and being uh, a Christian are compatible. I, I think I'm just going to have to finish up and, and, I don't know, go and be a missionary or something. And, um, and David said, no, 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 Gary, maybe the way you're running your business and being a Christian aren't compatible. You need to uh, tidy up your act. And you thought pretty much straight away. So having put your trust in Jesus Christ unexpectedly um, in May 91, pretty much the day, uh, 10 years after you begun the business, yeah. It began to dawn on you almost straight away that there were changes you needed to now make, having been saved, yep. to your own life personally, but also to the to the business. So what did being a Christian mean for the entertainer business? Well, three things, and they didn't all come immediately, but uh, I think the Christian life is, is a journey. Uh, people have often heard it described as a journey, and you don't become perfect on day one. God doesn't ask you to be perfect on day one. He just says, follow me. And on that journey, um, the, a relationship builds and, and God just knocks the edges off and deals with different things at different times. So the first uh, two things that, that God really challenged me through the business, and actually I, would, I, I think I would, I, I'd honestly say that from a personal perspective that became a Christian, um, probably is the reason why I'm still married to Kath 40 odd years later. Um, because it, it, it just gives a different perspective on life. So family life radically changed. Um, but back to the business, the two things that were, uh, that were most obvious changes were firstly in the area of honesty. I, I think God just challenged me over, over, you know, you've just got to be honest. You can't be wheeling and dealing with the reps. You can't be, you know, your taxes have got to be paid. All those things you've got to sort out. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to tidy up your, your business. And, and I can genuinely say that, in our business today, we have processes and, and procedures 
but there, there's no dishonesty, not that I'm aware of. There might be errors, but the, but there's no, we don't try and find shortcuts or or quick wins. But God, God is faithful and, and, and honesty has paid um, leaps and bounds. Our business has grown exponentially. Um, now we've decided to choose to run our business, well, it's been over 30 years now, but choose to run our business in, a, in an honest way. And the other area that was an immediate change was in the area of product. Uh, and a lady challenged me in the October before I came a Christian in the May about the Halloween products that I was selling in my shop um, and said that I was encouraging children to play with darkness. And at the time, I thought she was a bit radical and, and laughed at her, um, particularly when she said that God will replace my lost turnover in other ways if I stop selling Halloween. Um, but uh, October of 1981, no Halloween, sales rocketed. That's what I, I grabbed hold of and have held on for over 30 years, that passage from 1 Samuel 2.30, those that honour me, I will honour. And over and over and over again, when I've done things which seemed like they were uncommercial, swimming against the tide, God has honoured those, those particular positions. And I, and I think the key about that, for that verse, those honour me, I will honour, is it is about your motive. Because if your motive is for gain, then God doesn't, it, that, that doesn't work. If your motive is because I know I'm just doing the right thing, then I think God will step in um, and, and we'll sort things out. And then, and then latterly, 19... 95 when the sunday trading laws were changed allowing shops to open for six hours on a sunday are remembering oh dear what do i do about that and and jay john had just started a ten commandments series um and one of his evenings was was about keeping the sabbath uh, holy doing different things on a sunday um compared with the rest of the week and i thought wow how does that fit together um and i remember i i, I thought lord you need to um you need to, I need a pass on this one because obviously I'm a retailer. I remember saying to God one night, God, there's no point in me praying if you don't answer prayers. And he said to me, Gary, but no amount of praying is going to get me to change my mind. So I knew back in September of 1995 that we were not going to be opening on Sundays. And our business in, in what, 1995, in, in 25 years has grown to 173 shops in the UK all the landlords are fully aware of our situation on Sundays that we just don't want our, our staff to work. It's a family day. It's a convenient day for mums, dads, uncles, grandparents to be around for their family, have family meals together. And our businesses continue to thrive, even though you would say in a 24-7 world, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but some of the things that God calls us to do don't make sense, but just go with it. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. So, Gary, this last 12 months has not been easy for many people, but for you, it's been a real challenge with your businesses closed for much of the last 12 months. How has it been for you throughout the pandemic? It's been a big challenge. And as a family business and um, two of my four children work in the business, but in the end, the buck stops uh, with me. Um, I, I remember... We started off our financial year at the beginning of 2020 um, and there was this issue about some virus in, in China and it was affecting initially how factories could make product. And we were expecting uh, shortages of toys. But within eight weeks, that completely turned on its head. It wasn't about toys being short. It's about the fact that it was this virus was rocking around the world at pace when the government announced uh, about the 15th of March last year, that, that from the 23rd of March, we were going into a three-month lockdown. I thought, well, how, how on earth is that going to work? You know, we've got, we've got stock coming in, we've got 
1,600 staff to pay. We've got landlords to pay. We've got bill. How you know if you if you literally turn off your your income, how is your outcome going together? And, and I remember um, we 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 put a new emergency budget together called a C19 budget, and it meant we needed three times more cash than we had banking facilities in place. And I just thought, well, this is it. You know, 40 years of being in business, and it's just all over. It's just you know, how, how's this going to work? And then in fairness, the government have been absolutely outstanding. And I know they came in for criticism, but you know what? I, I don't know how, how they could possibly solve every single problem for every single person. But, but on the, the speed in which they, they sprung into gear and for the volume of, of businesses that they have helped, uh, it's been quite remarkable. But looking at it specifically from the entertainer, uh, the year's rate holiday and the furloughing of staff have saved our business from bankruptcy. They have definitely, without a question of a doubt, saved 1,600 jobs for, from an entertainer perspective. Now, for so lots of been... people, Gary, that yeah. so that, that furlough support obviously has allowed you to keep your staff. But, yes. of course, there's two things. that It's not covered the whole costs, although most of them. And, of course, it doesn't cost the, cover the entire costs of the business. So many businesses despite furlough, have still struggled and some have closed because, you know, let's say 30% of their outgoings yeah. aren't staff costs and the that finance hasn't been covered. But for you, you've been able to keep going, you've yeah. been able to keep your staff and you've been able to pay them a full wage. How have you made that possible? Right, well, um, when it first happened, um, you know, we employ a, a big proportion of our staff are, are, are shop staff. And for most of those staff, they are they're on the basic living wage or, or marginally above it. Um, and they are the, the most vulnerable people, I guess, in, in our society. And if you start cutting that basic living wage, how on earth were they going to pay their bills? So for the first three months lockdown, last half of March, April, May and half of June, we paid the staff 100% of their salary. Mm. And for the staff that were continuing to work, which were mainly not some warehousing staff or all of my web staff, we paid them 110% of salary because one, we wanted to recognize they were working in difficult conditions, socially distanced working conditions. And secondly, I wanted there to be a differential between those working and those not working. Mm. When we came down to other lockdowns, it just hasn't been possible to maintain uh, that 100%. But we've always paid the staff if they've not been, not been working 10% more than, than the support that the government has given us, even though over the year we've had to pay national shorts a few other bits. But, but you know, it, it's looking after your staff because when we hit uh, May last year, I remember the, tr the Trestle Trust that I've been in conversation with because I've supported the local of, of local food banks ring him in saying they've been given all this food by a national supermarket, but they had no national means of distribution. Gary, you did, you did say if there's anything we ever needed you know, to ring you. Well, Gary, we need to distribute food around the country. Um, and over an eight week period, um, we received, I think it was six articles of stock a day and we distributed nine million meals to food banks in small quantities all around the country in partnership with British Gas and with Tesco's and Sainsbury's put some money in. You know, this was a real true partnership, but our warehouse in Banbury received it, broke it down into the right components so that the food banks were in the right mix of products and distributed it. And I remember the warehouse manager uh, in Banbury, he rang me, he said, Gary, he said, the first lot of food's in. We, we've, turned, we've turned one around, you know, it's, 
He said, it's really desperate in Coventry. We had to get it out today. Mm. And, and it really, really affected the staff. And, and so many of the works are on that food and they really felt that they were, that was their, their effort. They got paid, mm. but that's not the point. You know, that was their effort to, to support in the country through really difficult times. You know, I often talk about generosity in business. I say, you know, business can be a force for good. And if, and if you talk to generosity, if you talk about this word generosity, people often say, oh, well, it's all about money. Well, you know, money is involved in that because, you know, things can't just happen without money. But not all of us have got spare money. In fact, we've got significantly less money than we, than we had a year ago. We're just literally money in, money out, making sure we can, we can pay all the bills on time because other businesses are relying on us as well to pay their bills but we each have uh, our assets. We each have um, time. Generosity can be can come in many forms. And it sounded um, like to me that you had. So there are you. Obviously, there's, there's money that you have available. There's your talent. Um, there's your time. But also with you, you had a resource that was doing nothing and doing you no good. <laughs> um, and in the midst of the pandemic, with uh, so many things being closed, a warehouse that if it wasn't empty, it certainly wasn't working at its full capacity by any means. And there you have the ability to, to make a difference. So for Gary Grant going forward, you know, we, we come out of lockdown, hopefully in the next few uh, weeks and we go back to some kind of normality. Yeah. What does being generous look like with your time and your talents and your resources as we move out of the pandemic? Well, when we reopen our stores on April the 12th, we will have been closed for seven and a half months out of the last 12. So we've got to pick ourselves up and dust ourselves down and we've got to rebuild our business. Um, so if there was one thing I would say to your listeners is use your local businesses. Your businesses need you. Your, high, your local high street needs you like never before. We need you. Please come back and say hello to us and start using us again. The internet is not the answer to all of our problems. It kept you going during the lockdown, but please, please come back and support many of your uh, of, the, uh, of the local shops. You support people from your local communities. Their jobs need to continue beyond the government support. But generosity for me won't really change, Tim. Um, it's always been about about seeing a need and wherever possible trying to trying to support that need from an entertainer perspective. Uh, all, nearly all we do is directed towards children and families. Um, so it's how do we get alongside um, a lot of the children that have been badly affected? How do we put routine back into children's lives? How through organisations like TLG can we become mentors in the local school to encourage children just to say well done to them? It will be just be a case of, of just, in a way, doing what God calls us to do. Gary, that's amazing. And I think that advice for... All of us, as we come out of lockdown, is important. We've got to think about our community, think about our high street. And once we're able to shop somewhere other than online, it's time to do that. Get offline, get down the town and spend our money to make sure we support our businesses. Gary, we're really grateful to you for your time, for your wisdom, uh, a fantastic insight into your journey. A quick one, all the same, but important and full of wisdom. Gary, it's been an absolute blessing to talk to you. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Tim. Well, this is your chance to ask me anything about being a Christian in politics. It could be ethical, political, or even personal. Gary got the message. Here's a personal question from Gary and Sidcup. 
Hello Tim, this is Gary from Sidcup in Kent. The question I'd like to ask is, why did you feel the need to resign your post as leader of a political party just because some people felt it conflicted with your Christian beliefs? If we all did that, no one would ever get anywhere in life. Uh, I have a deep Christian faith and I refuse to let it dictate what job I do or what I get involved with. Thank you. Well, it is a great question, Gary. It's one I've considered a lot myself. For those of you who who don't remember, so when I led the party between 15 and 17, the general election had just happened. Um, The Lib Dems had actually gained seats the first time in many years, Uh, but I resigned about a week later and I decided to do so during the election campaign. Basically, because I'd come to the conclusion that given the situation I'd found myself in, I seemed to have a choice. And that was given the barrage of questions I was getting about my faith, I would either um, backslide, give dishonest answers and car crash my faith in order to try and get a hearing for my party as its leader, or I could try to do what I'd mostly been doing, and that was be faithful, um, give honest answers, but then continue to attract that attention. And therefore, as leader of a party, never actually have the opportunity to do the leading and to share the party's agenda and to push its messages. So I took the view that my choice was basically be a terrible leader, car crash my faith, or do something else. And if the choice was um, to follow Jesus or to be dishonest in order to stay in my role, it should be an obvious choice. And so I chose to follow Jesus and give up the job that I absolutely loved. If you'd like to ask me a question, you can send a voice note on WhatsApp to this number, 07711-701133. And there's Ted getting in on the act there. Well, as we come to the end of the show this week, let's pray together. Well, Father, we do want to thank you for Gary Grant, uh, for his faith and for his witness and for his generosity as he seeks to run his business through this most difficult of times uh, in accordance with the values that you have imprinted upon his heart. And Lord, we just pray for all businesses struggling through this time of lockdown, that as we emerge from it, uh, that they would grow and prosper, that you'd secure jobs and that you would eradicate poverty and hardship and that you'd help us all to think about how we spend our money and our time and our resources in order to honour you. But Lord, we just come before you now and we want to plead to you for the family of Sarah Everard and that you have uh, your favour just poured out upon her family. And we just ask you why, how how much longer is it that we will see uh, our sisters, our daughters, our mothers, our wives, Uh, all of those women in our society living in fear. How long, Lord, will we be living at a time where there is such abuse and such disrespect and such a a lack of safety? And we we plead for you to involve. We know, Lord, uh, that you're in charge of all things. We know, Lord, that you are good. But Lord, at times we're left wondering what it is that you are doing. So we pray, Father, that you would involve yourself in this situation, bring comfort, bring healing, bring justice and end evil. And we lift all these things up to you for the sake of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, next week, uh, we've got Danny Kruger, my friend, who's a Conservative MP, and we'll be talking about whether Christian values are for everyone or just for Christians. I'm Tim Farron. Thank you so much for listening. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron.